Well, good morning, Hope. I'm going to try over here. Good morning, Hope. Hope left side. There we go. We're good. Uh, it's good to be with y'all this morning. Um, since January, we have, as a church, been in a series of messages that we're calling Pray Like Jesus. We're going through the Lord's Prayer line by line, and we are using that to help us go deeper in understanding how to pray, what to pray, and what Jesus is teaching us, which is what he taught his disciples, to pray. Now, as we go through this prayer, we're paying real careful attention to the words, to the ideas that Jesus puts in this um, model for prayer, Uh, and we want these words to go deep in our hearts because sometimes with any model uh, prayer or, or even some liturgy, sometimes we, it's comforting, but sometimes we get kind of used to it and it can become real easy to just say the words and let it slip right past anything that God might be speaking to our hearts. So we've slowed down on this prayer and sometimes taken more than one week. In fact, this is the, the uh, third week on one of the more challenging lines of this prayer. Uh, and challenging, I think, is an understatement. Um, because a couple weeks ago we landed on this line of the prayer where we prayed, forgive our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And we spent the last two Sundays on this. Uh, My pastor from Minnesota, Dave Johnson, uh, spoke last week, and and I was thinking we were going to move on, but I just kept feeling kind of that pesky little word as in there. The word in that sentence that really gets me is the word as. As, right? Forgive us our sins as, as we forgive. And that's the prayer that we pray. And um, I wanted to spend another week and get real practical, which we'll get to in a little bit here, on what does it look like to then work through a process of forgiveness. But I want to start with a story uh, that takes place in the World War II era, right after World War II. Uh, it's told by a scholar named, named uh, Walter Wink, almost said Walter White, which some of you will find funny. I uh, know, Walter Wink. And this story is about two peacemakers. And these two peacemakers went and visited Polish Christians after the Second World War. And he asked, they asked the Polish Christians, would you be willing to meet with some Christians from West Germany because they want to ask forgiveness for what Germany did. They want to begin a new relationship. Would you meet with them? There was long silence. Finally, one of the Polish Christians spoke up and said to the peacekeepers, what you are asking is impossible. Every stone of Warsaw is soaked with the Polish blood they spilled. We cannot forgive. So they finished their conversation, decided to close by saying the Lord's Prayer together, and they got to these, what I'm calling pesky words, and forgive us our sins as we, and right there, everybody stopped praying. There was silence in the room. They were distressed. Finally, As Wink tells the story, one of the Polish Christians said, I can no longer say this prayer or call myself a Christian if I don't forgive. Humanly speaking, I can't do it. But God will give us the strength to do it, to forgive. Long story short, about 18 months later, Polish Christians and German Christians met in Vienna and established 
eventually established a relationship uh, and a friendship that lasted the rest of their lives. See, they were prompted by this prayer and that line in the prayer. They entered into a journey of forgiveness. It was just the first step. And it led to something none of them could have imagined. It led to reconciliation. And it makes me wonder, over the last 2,000 years since Jesus taught this prayer, how many marriages might have been changed if people would just stop at the word as we forgive? How many marriages would have changed? How many families, how many friendships, how many churches, how many lives, maybe even nations would be changed if when the Lord's Prayer was prayed, we took that one little word seriously, if we took seriously the word as Forgive us our sins as we forgive. What I want to do is every week we've been standing and praying the Lord's Prayer together, and I want to have you stand now, and we're going to pray this prayer on the screen out loud together. But when we get to that, you go ahead and stand. Uh, we get to that line in the prayer, um, that slide in the prayer, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. What I want to do is I'm just going to have us pause. Just pause and take a little bit of silence there. And then after a little bit of silence, we're going to pray again that same line and then finish the prayer together. Um, so let's pray together this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And let's just pause in silence. What's the offense? What's the sin? What's the hurt? Let's pray it again. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there's a great truth of human life. Um, is that people are difficult, right? right? People are weird, right? I mean, people, human beings are unpredictable. I mean, people say and do the strangest thing. If you have any doubts, just hang around me for a little while. I'll prove it for you. Um, you're supposed to laugh at that, but make me insecure here. Um, one of my favorite book titles, and you don't even need to read the book. It's almost all you need to know about the book is just the title is so good. It's Everybody's Normal. Till you get to know them, right? <laughs> Everybody's normal till you get to know them, right? The great piece of theology in this book is that everybody is weird, and not only is everybody weird and has their own quirks and strangeness and moods and instabilities, is that because we are created to be in relationship with other weird people, um, we will hurt each other just happens in relationship, right? Eventually, even the best of us, even in churches, we hurt each other. Even in healthy, grace-filled churches like ours, people get hurt. They get offended. They get disappointed, oftentimes with me, 
and sometimes for good reason. It's, it's true. It's just part of being in relationship. And oftentimes, like I said earlier today, when people think there's a problem in a relationship, the relationship's over. But no, no, when there's a problem in a relationship, the relationship is normal because <laughs> it just happens that way. And so we need to become a kind of people who are really good at forgiving if we're going to be in authentic, real relationships with other people because we will hurt each other over the course of any relationship that is real. Now, because Jesus knows this about us, right? He created us. He knows this about us. We find this all through his teaching in the epistles. There's these constant reminders to forgive one another. Colossians 3 is one of those places. Verse 13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone... Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And that phrase there, bear with each other, basically means put up with each other. So by the way, here's a clue. If you're in a relationship where you never have to kind of put up with the other person, it might be you that's being put up with, okay, right? <laughs> There's everybody's weird. Everybody's got stuff. But we forgive as the Lord forgave us. It's this reminder to live this way. Ephesians 4 is another place. Verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Right? See, if everybody was always perfect and wonderful and barely, you know, impolite, um, we wouldn't have to worry about having compassion, would we? People really have to mess up and screw up in order to be told to forgive grievances, which is a heavier word, or, or to be compassionate and forgive each other because you blow it. See, these are constant reminders woven all throughout Scripture, and particularly in the New Testament, and I think they are so important for us to notice Sometimes, you know, you're reading the Bible and all of a sudden, bloop, it just pops up. And you're like, wait a minute, where was that in the context? And I wonder sometimes if it was like, God's like, hey, let's just make sure that every once in a while, sprinkled throughout here, there's reminders. Because when I get reminded that I need to forgive somebody, unless I just want to blow right past it, I have to stop and think through, is there someone that I need to forgive? And if I'm honest enough, it doesn't take long for me to go, oh, yeah, there's that one. <laughs> or that two, or that 15. or There's... Right? There, there's stuff to forgive. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, again, that's out of Matthew, uh, and, and, and Jesus says to pray, forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Again, I think he's getting our attention to remind us the importance of forgiving other people. In fact, Jesus didn't just remind us to forgive. He then gave his life as an example of what he would pay, the cost that he would pay to offer forgiveness to others. He didn't just say, hey, listen, y'all just need to forgive each other. He said, you do need to forgive, and here's what I'm going to do as I demonstrate what it looks like to lay your life down <clears throat> so that others could be set free, that others could come to life to find grace. Here's the thing, though, is that a lot of times we talk about forgiveness, but but. We don't really understand how forgiveness is supposed to work, especially if we feel stuck, right? So a lot of times, you know, we'll hear a talk like we've heard the last couple weeks here at Hope, and we hear this, you know, all right, I need to forgive. And so we just try to white-knuckle our way to it. Like, oh, I'm just going to forgive. Even if it kills me, I'm going to forgive. 
Um, We try to muster up these feelings of forgiveness within ourselves. We remind ourselves what the verse just said, like Jesus has forgiven me. I just got to forgive them. Like I just need to forget what was done against me. I just need to be a good Christian. I just need to forgive and forget. I just need to, to let it go, right? Which is a Frozen song that, you know, I wish we would have had the band just jump in. Kelly, you could have nailed that if we would have just gone for it. It's funny, though, even in that song, if I remember the words, and I, I'll pretend that I've only heard it a couple times. Um, but uh, I, that one's even about locking up your heart and keeping it safe inside. You're letting it go. You're not really letting it go. You are just protecting yourself, even in that popular kids song. And we think we just need to, oh, just let it go, just to forgive, forgive and forget. Here's the problem with all these cliches and all these little one-liners that we hope would be helpful, even if they help for a little bit at the beginning. The problem is, if we're honest, a lot of times... They don't work, do they? We don't actually feel free. We haven't actually been able to forgive and let it really go. We might say the words, I forgive them, but it doesn't take long sometimes before we notice that we're still hauling around this load of resentment, bitterness. We're ruminating, we're rehearsing all the things that were said and done and what we wish we would have said or if we had a chance to let them know right now what we would say because it's hard to forgive. Our friend John Lynch says, we say we forgive them because we know we're supposed to, but we don't feel free. See, and we can feel free. We can forgive and actually feel free. And so what I want to do today, and this is what I had come back to this week as I was thinking about moving to something else, and I just thought, you know, there is a process of forgiveness that I have learned from John Lynch and the True Face guys that is really helpful. And um, I know there's lots of processes that people use. You can probably Google something that will be helpful. But I know that this has helped me and thousands upon thousands of other people, especially if we feel stuck in some harm or some hurt that was done to us. And so I just want to talk through these seven steps that they list out from their book, The Cure. Um, These are steps that help us to move into forgiveness. And what I really like about this one is that at the end, it does talk about reconciliation, which sometimes we don't even imagine or think is a thing that's in there that needs to be talked about. But but, but, but (laughs) sometimes reconciliation can happen, even if it seems like a miracle, We serve a miracle-working God who has demonstrated for us what it looks like to forgive and move into something new that we could have never imagined is possible. But we don't even get to that reconciliation piece if we don't start back here and get free with the forgiveness piece. Now, there's this seven-step process that we're going to just, I'm going to read through here, just some different lines and unpack a little bit of them and why they're helpful. I've had to really truncate this to try to squeeze it into the time we have. Um, There are notes when you leave on that black table out there in the lobby. It's a round table. There are notes that have these seven steps listed, so I encourage you to take notes um, and write notes to yourself. But if you get behind and you're like, oh, no, there's kind of the skeleton of the notes out there, so don't worry about stopping me to... Like, hey, can you do that part again? It's okay. They're out there. Um, So, by the way, I also added, and I'm going to add something that we used from Bishop Tutu's book that Dave Johnson talked about last week uh, in there that I think is crucial. So, here's the big thing. I'm going to go through these seven things here in the next 15, 20 minutes or so. But if you're going to enter into this, this is not something where we're going to talk through these seven things right here, and you're going to walk out of the room like, 
fully heaven forgiven someone and freed and it's all restored and ready to go. I mean, it would be nice, but that's not going to happen. This is something where you, this week, get to do what I've been doing the last month (laughs) and work through these steps uh, on your own or with a friend or someone that you love. And, And I'll tell you this, if you do, you will find yourself getting more and more free, maybe even from stuff that you never thought you would get freedom from. So um, set aside some time this week, but I'm going to hit the overview here. So the first step in this path of forgiveness that the the true-faced guys uh, outlined from their book, number one, I have to admit that something happened. Seems normal, but I think sometimes we just sort of blow past, like, oh, that was no big deal. I'm fine. We have to admit, like, everything was not fine. Something did happen. It mattered. Um, We were hurt. We were harmed. We were sinned against. Maybe it was intentional, maybe it was an accident, maybe it was a pattern that somebody has done over and over and over again, or maybe it was just a one-off deal. No matter how, how all that stuff plays out, we do have to admit that something happened instead of burying it or brushing it off or pretending it didn't matter. And then number two, I must get in touch with the consequences. See, what we need to do is, okay, something happened, yes, and There was an impact. There were consequences as a result of this sin that was done to me or this thing that happened to me. Now, this can be really painful to look at because, again, sometimes we go, listen, I was betrayed by that person. Uh, Maybe you were in a marriage and someone, um, or maybe you had parents, then one of them had an affair. And that's a big enough offense right there. That's a big deal. That is worth processing But there is fallout to this stuff. There is fallout. There are consequences beyond just the betrayal that impact your life if you go through something like that or basically almost any one of these things that happen. It's more than just the thing done to you. It's what happens as a consequence for this. Um, Bishop Tutu calls this admitting the wrong and acknowledging the harm. Admitting the wrong, acknowledging the harm. See, what happened, it was wrong, it did damage, and now we need to look at the damage that it did so we stop minimizing it and covering for it. We have to name the consequences so that we can move toward getting more and more free. Now, there are questions that can be helpful, um, and I can email this to you if you want any th- this list. Um, it's not on the handout, but shoot me an email here and I'll be happy to. But here are some of the questions that have been helpful for me in figuring out the consequences. So because of this thing that happened, have have I experienced shame? Have I become fearful? Was I demeaned or devalued? Was I manipulated? Did people think less of me? Was my reputation damaged? Were my relationships damaged with my spouse or my kids or my family or some friends or my coworkers or people at church because of this thing that happened? Did people think less of me? Did it affect my job? Did it affect my income? Did it affect my future? Did I lose a position? Did I lose influence because of what happened to me and the fallout of that? Um, Or because I was sinned against, did I start to think of myself as less than? That I somehow deserved this, that I was not worthy? Did I see myself differently? Is that a consequence? Sometimes the consequence when something happens is our relationship with God gets damaged because somebody does something to me and I get mad and I'm like, God, where were you? How'd you let this happen? I thought you were with me in this. And so I can even shut myself off toward trusting God 
as a consequence, all things that I'm responsible for when I do these things or make these choices, but there are consequences to being sinned against, and so we need to acknowledge those consequences. We need to put them out there. It's important. And when we have those, then number three, I must tell God what happened to me. I tell God what's happened to me. This is one of the most beautiful parts of forgiveness is that we get to bring all of our stuff to God. We come as we are. We bring the event of what happened. We bring the consequences and the fallout. We can, we can cry. We can yell. We can scream. We can sit in silence. But here's the important thing. God wants us to tell him everything that we've gone through to let it all out, to don't hide any of it. When Jesus teaches, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. You guys know what we've talked about here many times is that means mourning means getting out here what's going on in here. So we don't hide it or stuff it or pretend. We get it out here and that's where the comfort comes. Look at the examples all through the Psalms of the psalmist when he's been hurt or been attacked and he lets it all out. This is permission, by the way, for you to not hide anything from God. You can tell him exactly how you feel. You don't need to come to him real dignified, like, I better not say anything that might offend God in this. That is not the heart of the Father God for you. He invites you to say it exactly how you feel it, to get it all out there before him, and he's not waiting around to punish you and let the other shoe drop. He wants to hear from you what happened. He wants to hear it all. He wants to enter into every tear, every detail. He's been waiting for that moment to be with you in it. Friends, this is really good news. God can handle it. Whatever you feel, however mad or hurt or discouraged, God can handle it. So you get that out there before him. And then next, I must forgive the offender for my benefit. You heard that right. For, this is the one that gets tricky, right? For my benefit. And this is the one that gets missed a lot of times in the process of forgiving people. See, we, before we go to them and give that forgiveness to them, we've got to get a hold of this thing between us and God. We deal with this before God. We've poured it out. We've told him all about it. And we do the vertical piece between us and God before we try to do that horizontal piece between us and the other person. See, doing this peace between God and I, what it does is, is it's me taking that person off the hook before God. They haven't had to do anything yet. It's me saying, all right, God, I'm hurt. Here's how I feel about this. I don't even feel like forgiving, but I trust you. I trust you know what you're doing. I trust that you know what you're talking about. I trust that you're involved in this enough that I can take a step toward trusting you and giving this stuff over to you. God, I'm not gonna try to manage the outcome or implement the discipline or make them pay. God, I'm putting all that into your hands. I take all the stuff that I'm carrying and I say, instead of pouring it out on them and making them pay the debt, God, okay, I'm gonna trust you with this. I'm gonna forgive them before you, before I even go to them. So I've got this piece sorted out. It's like if you had a wheelbarrow full of sand that was like tied to one arm and to go anywhere, you're going to have to pick that thing up and wheel. It's just awkward. This is what living in unforgiveness is like. You just, it's like everywhere you go, oh, you're pulling this thing around. Sometimes you might get used to it, but you're just wheeling this around and, and you know that it's heavy. You know that it's a hassle. You, don't, you know that you don't want to live this way. 
And forgiveness before God, before I ever go to the person, forgiveness before God means that I take that rope that is tying me to the wheelbarrow and I just sever that cord. I cut that thing off. I say, God, I give you the debt that they owe me that I've been hauling around waiting to pour out on them. I give that to you. That's up to you, God. I give you them. I give you the debt. God, I'm going to trust you with all of this stuff. I'm going to forgive that way. And friends, by doing that, (laughs) we're saying to God, okay, I trust your love, your strength, your protection. I put all the consequences of what happened to me and what I would like to happen back to them. I give that all to you. I put it into your hands. Lynch writes, I trust. When I do this, I trust God will not mock me or ignore this or forget my pain. I trust he will protect me and defend my heart, bringing beauty out of hurt. I trust he will cleanse me as he promised. So we hand all this hurt over to God because he's the only one who sees the whole situation perfectly anyway. And he's the only one who can love both me and my offender unconditionally. And so that's why we go to him first. We give it to him. We deal with that vertical piece first. And by the way, one of the great reasons uh, of doing this forgiveness piece between you and God and getting this thing worked out and forgiving them before God, uh, one of the great things about doing this is that we get to live free now. We get to live free regardless of how they respond. See, sometimes I think the only way that I'm going to get free of this deal is if... um, if they do X, Y, and Z, right? If they respond and take ownership and do what I want them to do, that's where I'm gonna get free. No, 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 no. That puts all of the, the, the junk back into their hands where you just wanna be free regardless of whatever they choose to do, right? Whatever they choose to do, you get to be free, right? Like, listen, here's the deal. When I have this happen, I want that other person to repent. When I finally get to them, I want them to repent. I want them to own up. I want them to clean up their mess. But when I'm able to hand that outcome over to God before I ever get to them, then when I do talk to them, if they don't respond well, hopefully I'm not like devastated. It doesn't blow up my world. Right? This is the benefit of working this out between us and God first. I was on a team um, with seven leaders and I was falsely blamed for betraying a confidentiality thing, and I never knew how it started that I was the one that had leaked this confidential information, but I hadn't done it, and I knew I hadn't done it, and there was massive blow-up and fallout over this and a loss of trust, and it took months before the truth came out, and um, five of the other leaders apologized to me when they found out that I hadn't done it and that it had been something else, they came and apologized to me. Um, I was glad that I'd gone through this forgiveness process first and put it into God's hands because the one person who didn't want to talk even was the one who had started the rumor (laughs) and, and put the information out there. And then when they were busted, they were, whatever, ashamed, embarrassed, something. And when the other member said, hey, you two, it would be good for you to meet, the other person who had started this um, slander said, no, 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 I don't want to talk about the past. It's over and done with. Now, if I, had him, if, I, if I would have needed him to own up to it in order for me to be okay, where am I now? Where would I be now? I would not be free 
And yes, I was irritated. <laughs> I was irritated. But I was already free and I didn't depend on him. Because before God, I did the vertical piece. I forgave him for my own sake so that I would be free. So then number five, I tell the offender that I've forgiven them when they repent for their sake. This is important. When someone owns up and takes responsibility, then we forgive them for their sake. We don't just go to somebody and, and say, well, you're, you know what, that's okay. Forget it, you're, you're forgiven. Because if we do that and we just go, you were wrong and you don't need to own any of it, um, then we rob them of their process. Now, we have to be careful here because suddenly we start playing God and determining, you know, what the outcome's supposed to be and what they're supposed to see and do and all that stuff. Um, but the good thing is when somebody does respond well and we forgive them, we already have the forgiveness right here. We don't have to go find it somewhere. We've already gotten it sorted out between us and God. So now we give it to them what we already have for them. They're forgiven. They owe me either way. They don't owe me anything. Either way, they are free and so am I. They get to experience that freedom if they will repent and walk into it. And I know it's frustrating sometimes when people don't own it, um, but it's not up to us to make them own it. Number six, I must distinguish between forgiving and trusting my offender. Now, this is a big one, right? Oftentimes, especially if it's been a great forgiveness and people just love each other well and people responded great, we want to trust right away. And so do. If you can and they are a safe person, do. But remember this, especially if it's hard to forgive them, remember this. Forgiveness and trust are two separate issues. You can forgive somebody and not have to trust them. See, see, a lot of times when we forgive, like I said, you'll want to trust them. But trust, true trust, takes time. It takes consistency. And sometimes people are not trustworthy. You can still forgive them. You don't have to trust them. And that's okay. That's okay. Again, don't pretend, oh well, don't pretend to have forgiven and you haven't forgiven. You're just, well, I just don't trust them. Don't, 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 don't squirm around this at all. <laughs> it's just not good for you to squirm around this stuff. But forgiveness and trust are separate issues. I can think of somebody that, that um, did some really destructive things uh, on, a, on a church that I was a part of. And it wasn't just at me. It was to a bunch of people. It was really bad. And people would ask him, hey, did you do this? And he'd just squirm around it. And no, no, I would never say that kind of stuff. And, and over and over and over. Listen, we all had to figure out how to forgive him. Um, and he had a track record, by the way. We found out of doing this stuff at previous places where he had worked. Um, so we forgave. I forgave. But we all knew that he was going to have to clean up his mess and do some mess cleaning up if he wanted to earn trust. The good news is, like, I could be in the same room with this person. I could talk to this person. Um, he's forgiven. He's free. But I wouldn't trust this person. It's just not wise. It's just not wise, and that's okay. Now, this is where I think Bishop Tutu's uh, clarification is helpful, and I want to mention it here. Um, I'm calling it the fork. The fork in the road here at this, do we forgive, do we trust? There's a fork after this where we decide to renew the relationship, as he says, or release it. So to renew or release. And this is an important place because sometimes the only option we really have is to release that relationship. Dave talked about this last week a little bit. Um, but I want to 
add this caution. Releasing a relationship, especially a close one, must be done very slowly and carefully. And friends, we are just not objective enough to do that stuff all on our own. God intended us to do life in community anyway. So if you're going to end a relationship, you're going to want to do this with wise counsel from a Christian. They can be somebody you trust. It could be a counselor. It could be a pastor. But you really want a Christian perspective on this uh, because there's not a lot of schools of thought that say the things that Jesus says about forgiveness, and that's the path we want to live in. So... Um, use wisdom, work it through with somebody that can be objective because it is very hard for us to be objective. In fact, sometimes um, we really quickly release a relationship that could move toward reconciliation or healing because we're just so tired of it. I get it. I totally get it. Sometimes we have to release a relationship. Just be careful not to do it too soon. Even as I say that, there's a part of me going, hey, listen, I know that there's abusive situations where people keep putting up with abuse in the name of forgiveness. And to those people, I'm like, hey, no, 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 no. You probably need to release that relationship, okay? And I don't have time to get deep into that. But again, this is where it helps to have someone that you trust with you who is wise and mature and has some objectivity and isn't too close to the situation and can help you see more clearly, I hope, that situations where we have to release the relationship, I hope that those are rare, but they do happen. Now, what we do hope for, and what I believe God wants for us, is that our forgiveness pathway leads towards reconciliation, which is the seventh and final part of the process. See, it's important to think about this, too, in terms of we're seeking reconciliation, not just, you know, conflict resolution. And I know like, especially when we're really hurt, we don't want reconciliation. We just, okay, fine, let's resolve the conflict. Let's get past this thing. Let's fix it. Um, and then what I plan to do when people aren't paying attention is I'm just going to let this thing grow cold and die. <laughs> I'm just going to let it die. I'm going to say, oh, no, no, I forgave, and then I'm just going to let it die. You know, you hurt me. The consequences were destructive. So I forgive you, but I'm out. And again, it makes sense that we feel this way, uh, especially in light of what we just said, that trust and forgiveness are two separate issues. But relationships of grace, which is what Jesus gives us as his followers, what he calls us as the body of Christ to live into, are very different than the relationships modeled by our world and even relationships that our world can give wisdom for. See, relationships of grace, there's this longing built in us that we would renew and reconcile relationships, not just fix events, but reconcile. And again, this is not a demand. This is an invitation. You could live this way. Instead of having to keep cutting people off in your life and discarding them or isolating or building walls because they hurt you and maybe you have good reason, <laughs> you could live free. You could live reconciled in alignment with the things that God offers to us through Jesus. See, think of Jesus, what he did when he reconciled all of us back to God. Humankind was lost, had no hope. We, we were completely devastated apart from God, and Jesus came and brought not only forgiveness, 
and we needed forgiveness, and we need forgiveness, he brought and made available reconciliation. We want to follow his example and be a people that also reconcile. Because of the cross, we reconcile. We move towards someone to come back together, even when it seems hopeless or lost. A little story about that. Um, about 20 years ago, I uh, <clears throat> worked with a guy named Chris, and Chris um, and I uh, worked pretty closely together, but there was a big conflict, a big, huge blowout, um, and we didn't really get to resolve it. In fact, soon after that, I moved from Wisconsin back to Minnesota, and, you know, I forgave him um, between me and God. I might even said, you know, something to him. But I just thought reconciliation, it's not in the picture because, you know, we don't even live close to each other. There's no reason for us to connect. And so for five years, there was silence between us, just nothing, silence. We did have a mentor in common, though, uh, a wise older man named John Setzer. And through John, I had heard here and there that Chris was kind of going through his own kind of journey and figuring out life and ministry. And um, one day, John said, you know, Chris has been through the fire, and he's done a lot of work to be emotionally and spiritually healthy. In fact, I think both of you guys have grown a lot in the past five years. You know, if, if the two of you met today, I think now the two of you would end up being really good friends. When your mentor says something like this, it's a, it's a suggestion, but it's not really a suggestion, right? You know how this works? Yeah. Um, not being as slow on the take as you might expect, I um, said, hey, yeah, uh, can I get his phone number? And we reached out to each other, and finally we got a hold of each other. And I figured when this phone call happened that we both had some things to own up to, we'd ask for forgiveness for, but, you know, we'd probably catch up and, hey, where's life these days? Um, but instead, I was kind of shocked because I hardly had gotten started in the conversation when Chris just started apologizing and, and for the things that had hurt me and my family and, and to ask for forgiveness and ask if we could walk together and, and make amends and, and is there anything that, that I would want to tell him about how this has impacted him and I was stunned. I mean, I was shocked. I had never before this experienced such a godly, mature Christ-like humility and tenderness. I'd never experienced that before. Chris just blew me away. And what he did, without knowing it, is he modeled for me what it looked like to ask for forgiveness. And what he also did was, um, you know, he inspired me to own my own stuff. I mean, heck, he was so good at apologizing that I wanted just to start making up stuff to apologize for. I wanted to, you know, like match him in the, in the caliber of, oh, but just sort of kidding. Um, but it was inspiring. In fact, what it really did, as he spoke, my heart softened and the Holy Spirit began to show me places where I had wronged Chris and that I needed to ask for his forgiveness. And so I did. And we reconciled. And friends, this is somebody that I never thought I would ever speak to again. I thought it was one of those forgive him, release the relationship kind of deals, but it wasn't. It was a beautiful picture of reconciliation. Really, it was a gift straight from the heart of God that I didn't know would be such a gift until the subsequent years, because that was 15 years ago, where even though he and I have never lived in the same state, we talk often. In fact, his family was just here for a visit, 
and I trust him deeply. He has become a wise, treasured Proverbs 18 kind of friend who um, sticks closer than a brother. And although he's a couple years younger than me, uh, I think he doesn't realize that he serves many times as a mentor to me. He walks me through ministry disappointments. He walked with me through my divorce. He's helped me figure out some parenting stuff. Um, At my wedding five years ago, uh, he pretty much jumped in as the best man and did all the stuff the best man would do. Um, uh, He's one of the voices that has kept encouraging me all these years to be open to what God might do in terms of putting me back into church ministry roles as a pastor. He's one of those voices. So by the way, if, if you think I'm doing a terrible job here at Hope, then just, you know, you can be mad at Chris, all right? So I'll give you his email. You're supposed to be funny. Not so funny. Okay, I really, we'll put it up on the screen. No, okay. But oftentimes, you know, I tell this story because oftentimes I think about that healing, that reconciliation, and I wonder, what would, what would have happened if we hadn't been open to reconciliation? If we had just forgived and walked on, moved on, what if neither of us had the humility to own our stuff, to clean up our mess, to start again? And I tell that story because I wonder, I wonder if the same God who forgave you and I and reconciled us to Jesus might want to reconcile you and I to some of the people we are alienated from. I wonder if maybe there's a gift that God has for us that would go beyond our wildest imagination of what could even be if we would just open ourselves and make room for God to work in some of these strained relationships. It may be, maybe, reconciliation. But for sure, freedom. Freedom for you. To forgive, to let go. Which is, again, draws us back to the prayer that we pray. Father, forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Worship team, will you come? I guess my big question as we wrap up is, is there anyone in your life that you need to forgive? Maybe over the last three weeks, some of these names have come to your head and maybe you've just sort of passed it by, which is why today I want it to be really practical. Is there somebody that you need to forgive? Is there something you've been holding on to? Is there somebody maybe you prefer not to even think about because thinking about that person just causes you pain? Or is there a relationship that you've just been avoiding because you haven't been able to move past something that they've done or said? And if there is, I just invite you this week to walk through these steps of forgiveness um, and maybe get the help of somebody you trust. And by the way, I know this from experience, don't get discouraged if you have to go back through these steps again and again. Sometimes it's like the fishing line goes back out and tangles you back to the problem again, and you're like, I forgave that. And okay, forgive, cut the line again. Let it off, let that mess go. Every time you find yourself hooked by something you thought you forgave, that's okay. Forgive again and again. Forgive as God forgave you. See, it's not easy, but isn't having the freedom of your heart worth it? I want to shift us now to the communion table.
And I think of this part here where we've been talking today about reconciliation and how Jesus reconciled us to God. He ransomed you and I. He did the repair that you and I could not have done without him. We could not have come to God and be forgiven if not for what Jesus did for you and I. And when Jesus did this repair, he did something amazing. He reconciled us to God, and he reconciled us to each other. He intends for you and I to be reconciled to one another. It's one of the pictures behind the reality of the body of Christ. You and I, in 1 Corinthians 12, says you are all members of one body. See, it's the body of Christ. And it's not lost on me that as we often used to take communion before COVID, (laughs) we would have a loaf of bread and we would from that bread either pull a piece or take a cut piece as a reminder that we are a part of the body of Christ, that you and I are the body of Christ. And I believe that the heart of God longs deeply for us, yes, to be reconciled to him but so deeply as our Father to be reconciled to each other, so much so that he gave his only Son who paid the price that needed to be paid so we could be reconciled to this Jesus who on the night that he was betrayed took bread when he had broken it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together, friends. The cost that Jesus paid for you and I to be reconciled to God and to each other was his very life body broken, his blood poured out. I believe that he had us in mind after supper as he took the cup, given a common cup, and he had blessed it, given thanks. He said, this cup is the new covenant. It's a word for a promise. The new promise which is in my blood which will be poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of many. Take and drink. And do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Friends, the gift and sacrifice of Jesus is a beautiful thing. I just want us to sit in this song that the band is going to play as an act of worship and even adoration to this Jesus who gave everything to reconcile us himself and to reconcile us to one another. Let this minister to your heart.